Seahawks fans, wherever you may be. Welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your host, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Fans, welcome back to another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Alpstead, here with Keith Myers. Keith, talk to me. How you doing? I'm doing good. It's a um, it's another week of the summer that's you know trick or trickling by, and and uh, we're getting closer to training camp. I can't wait for um, you know players to start reporting and for us to actually have you know more news stuff to talk about. Um, but yeah, it's a Glad to be here and, you know, talking some Seahawks football with you. Yeah, nice. Yeah, me too. And believe me, <laughs> I am really happy to be here. And Keith, we've got like fun shows coming up. We do. I mean, this show is going to be awesome. We're talking about the five breakout players on defense. Last week we did the offense. That was super fun. This is going to be a great list because the defense is just packed. This is loaded. I, you know, I would imagine you had the same difficulty I had with oh, this yeah. list together. Yeah. And then Tuesday, afternoon we are going to record our fifth annual beer and question and answer show um which is just always fun it's just one of those shows that we take out of the 52 that we record every year and it's the one that's not necessarily completely focused on football but it's focused on on us and some beer sampling and some questions some of them are football related but others are just really fun and, and kind of get us to kind of open up a little bit and, and just have a laugh or two. So that's a great show. And then a reminder for everybody on the 19th, which is a Monday of July, uh, Keith and I are going to appear with Dan Viennes from the Emerald City Sportscast. And we are going to do a live event show in person at Ozzy's Tavern in downtown Seattle from 3 to 6 p.m., their happy hour. And we are going to have special guest Corbin Smith, possibly a, a couple others. Um, there's going to be some giveaways. We're going to do it. It's a training camp kickoff show. So the week prior to uh, training camp, um, we're going to we're going to all get together and uh, three hours of Seahawk talk and and banter and guests and just all sorts of uh, fun in person, which is which is the key on this thing up in Seattle. We're hoping to have a whole bunch of folks out. So if you're listening to the show and you can make it down there, get onto our website at seahawksplaybook.com. All the information is on there for the show or on Twitter. Um, and we'd love to have you down there. Submit some questions when you first show up and we'll try to get through those too as the show goes on. It'll be a great time. So um, what are we doing today, Keith? We're looking at the defense and we're trying to find out who we think are going to just have that breakout year, that year where they just take that big step up from being, you know, a role player into being, you know, a, a very dependable starter or from being a starter to being a star. Like, who do we think is going to be uh, that guy that takes that step? And we each had to bring five. I understand you brought eight in typical Bill fashion. Um, yes, of course. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and how did, how did you put yours in order? Uh, quite scientifically. It was this long, long, long mathematical process of me looking at the list and 
going, oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Right. Okay. So we're both in the same boat. We just kind of wrote some names down uh, as they popped into our head. And then that was the order in which uh, we thought that they would be uh, talked about on, on the show here. So well, we're gonna I go, understand. We're going to go reverse we, order though, right? Reverse order. I understand we have at least one difference, which will be good for the show and for the listeners, just so that we have something that you know, we don't agree on necessarily, or, or could be somebody new to talk about. Yeah, it's boring so. when we talk about, when we, we agree with everything. <laughs> it's much, yeah. much more fun when you're um, telling me I'm wrong and all of that. Oh, I'm looking forward so. to that today. <laughs> Let's go. Let's, um, let's start with your number I'll, five. I'll save, I'll save my three extra for the, for the end, <laughs> just in case. Okay. All right. What's your number so, five? My number five. Oh, you want me to start? My number five top five breakout player for the Seahawks in 2021 is Akella Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. That's a And great there were a number of players I think that you could put into this category, even from the defensive back group. Um, and, and he is a guy that's brand new to the team, signed a $4 million fully guaranteed deal as a free agent to come on and compete for that spot that was given up by Griffin. And, He's got the pedigree. He's got the ability. What he's lacked, at least so far in the NFL with San Francisco, is the consistency. Um, Third round pick in 2017. I know that he was probably in the mix for Seattle um, during that draft. He just fit the prototype of what they were looking for at the time. He appeared in 47 games, 33 starts. He didn't come here to be on the sidelines or have a backup role this guy is coming in to compete for that starting spot and he's going to be to me you know i'm not exactly sure who else you would put up against him that would really have a legit shot at that except for trey brown maybe as as a rookie to come in and 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 take that spot so he will have that opportunity i just think akello with his experience and length and uh, playing style and already knowing the defense pretty well gives him a pretty decent leg up that's why I think he's going to pop a little bit. He's got that 4-4 speed, that length. He does well at times. He looks very competent, very good. He's, he breaks on the ball. He's got some nice ball skills. He's not a guy that's going to miss a lot of interceptions that are coming his way, and he's got the ability to catch it. He's not going to drop them. Mm-hmm. He's a guy that's going to be able to go up and get the ball and, and so forth. So to me, he's got an opportunity with Seattle that I think he just needed a fresh start, get out of Shanahan's doghouse, which he was in, in San Francisco and the injuries and start over here with Pete Carroll and see if that makes any difference. And maybe he gets on track. And if he does, I think he could be a breakup player. Yeah. I mean, talent wise, he's got, he's got what it takes to be a great player at the position. Um, he's actually my uh, number three player. So um, I had him, I had that ranked a little higher just because I thought it was a little more, of a sure thing in part because you his, think his tape is better than his reputation. Now he's played hurt. That is true. He's played. And that comes from him being in Shanahan's doghouse. I kid you not. That's part of it. And part of it is he's, he has played hurt. Um, and when he was playing through injury, he, you know, wasn't as explosive and, and that kind of stuff and, and had some problems. And so people look at those games and go, Oh, well that's what, where his talent is. But that's not. That's when him playing hurt. Um, when he's healthy, he is, you know, he's a top tier uh, guy. But 
you don't have coaching staff that's that's you know talking you up and and helping you with your image and you play through some injuries and it doesn't go well like the combined aspect of that is he's got a reputation for you know being kind of an average guy when his tape is significantly better than that so um i yeah i've got him up there as as my number three pick yeah interesting i mean i could understand him being as a three guy uh, you know your third guy just based on the fact that the group itself the the defensive back group is possibly the weak link on here and he might be able to pop out of that group Mm -hmm. and, and kind of emerge um that's one way of looking at it the other way is the way that you explained it where it it seems like an obvious choice where he's got a, a a real legit chance to pop and quote unquote surprise people even though he's got the tape to to back up sort of you know what we're expecting yeah interesting okay my number um, 5 yeah um i thought this one might um might surprise you a bit but i'm going to go with Brian Monet Defensive, that does surprise me. Defensive honestly. tackle. Yeah. Um, no, I get it. I get it. But explain yourself. So okay. So the Seahawks were really high on him. You know, coming in as an undrafted rookie and a three hundred and sixty um, pound run stuffer. He, you know, fought his way on onto the roster last year. Um, he was the third uh, defensive tackle in that rotation and um, played some good minutes, some good snaps. Kept. Um, snacks Harrison on the sideline for a couple of weeks until Monet got hurt. Monet then, um, when he came back, Harrison went back to the sideline. Harrison was unhappy about that and asked to be cut. Um, but the team liked Monet over a guy that a few years ago was an all pro. Um, that will tell you a little bit about his work ethic, his knowledge of the defense, being, being willing to do what the team asked him to do. And he's just, such a mountain of a man that uh, guards and centers are going to struggle with just, you know, being able to try and move him. He's so big and strong and, and you combine in that, you know, good mental discipline to stick to his gaps and, and his assignments and, and all of that. I just think that his role keeps increasing as the longer he's here because he keeps earning it. And he's now going into his, um, third year, his first where he's going to have a chance at starters minutes. I think we could see him really earn that spot and look like a guy that you want in the middle of your defense for the next five years. Wow. You know, he's just got such a different body style than uh, Puna Ford mm-hmm. that it's just hard to even compare those guys. And then you've got Al Woods in there who's known to be a run stuffer. So you've got kind of three guys that really make their living kind of stopping the run although Puna is looking more and more diverse uh, as time goes on. That is a group. You know, when you take a look at the entire defensive tackle group, that is a group that would allow a guy like Monet to really kind of step up, step forward, and take a spot and and really kind of make it his own. Um, the other guy that's, you know, that looks like he could maybe have an impact, there's two. I think Miles Adams, they really like Lattimore as well. And then uh, Kim Dietschy is kind of the wild card in this entire thing. Absolutely. We just don't know because he's got the world premier talent. You know, mm-hmm. he was the like the number one college recruit the year he was recruited into college. He was the number one guy regardless of position. Yeah. And he was a first round pick. And yeah. I mean, that his college tape was was phenomenal. 
um, he just never put it together down in Arizona. It just never became um, yeah. where he in, but there were work, work ethic injuries off field stuff. I mean, all of it. Yep. And so uh, he's a guy that, that definitely I think fits into the rotation and the equation and all of this. Um, the other thing that I th- thought about with this is um, because they've got all the run stuffers, Monet's body type says he should be a nose tackle. And, and Puna Ford flashed so much ability last year, just even more than already being really good at it being a nose tackle. Um, I wonder if they move Puna at times over to the three tech and just tell him to get after the quarterback and what that does and whether, you know, he can um, have more of an impact. But that means that Monet is going to get more snaps doing the nose tackle duty because Al Woods isn't going to do that. And that's not, that's not who he is. He's a, he's a run stuffer, but he's a three tech. He's a smaller guy. Um, so to have Monet over in at the nose tackle just means he's going to have more opportunities and more snaps, which again was why I had him on here, but he's number five. So um, he's a guy that we'll see, you know, w- w- what his role ends up being. But last year was really promising for him. I agree. I mean, everything that you said up, up front about him um, and, and him just kind of taking that spot away from snacks and, and all that is absolutely true. And I think it's easy to forget about a guy in the interior like that, and especially a new guy you've never really heard of before and so forth. And you're not even paying attention during a game if you even took any snaps, you know, but you look at the snap counts later on, you look at the tape, you look at the performance, you talk, uh, you listen to the coaches talk about guys his name comes up. Um, you're, you're right. I mean, he's probably somebody that we should be paying attention to at least through camp to see mm-hmm. what, what happens there. In fact, that whole interior defensive line is going to be interesting because they've talked about moving some guys that are typically on the, on the outside, more inside mm-hmm. Collier being one of them. Uh, Collier took a lot of snaps inside last year as well, but more so maybe this year, just because of the sheer numbers of, of guys they have capable guys they have on the outside call your maybe asked to, to, to move inside more consistently this year as well. So fun, fun group to look at Monet. Awesome. All right. Okay, um, number four. My number four is a guy I just mentioned, uh, Robert Kimdichi. Um, three tech, a 200 almost a 300 pound, uh, three tech, um, six, six, two, six, three, um, you know, his, his, his best season in Arizona, and you mentioned Arizona, was 2018 where he had 32 tackles, four and a half sacks in, in just 10 games. Um, so it, that's not a bad stat line for that guy. It's just not what I think people wanted and expected. And of course, he had some injuries that year and only played in 10 games. Um, it's, Pete loves reclamation projects. And this is the definition of that, Robert Kimdichie. And so he's only had appeared in 29 games in his entire four-season career. And if he were to mentally put it all together, because physically I think he's got the tools to do whatever Seattle wants him to do. And I think he could have a significant role here just from the, the roster aspect. There's a spot for him if he takes it. And so... Um, you know, Carol said he's, he's active and he's explosive and he's going to be a real competitive part of this group. I mean, those are Pete's words. 
So I think there's some expectation level already there that that he could make this roster. Now, this is one of those, those guys where he could be cut before camp even begins, or he could be the last guy cut out the, out the door after training camp, or he could make this roster and have a significant impact. I mean, you could go a lot of different ways with him. And I'm, I put him on the list because I do believe that from what I'm hearing and what I've seen, that he's got a legit chance to make the roster and have an impact on the roster. And that puts him on this list. Yeah, he was one of the guys that I just left off when I was trying to, to narrow my list down and, and get it to five. Um, he was one of the, the guys that just... So that Keith that just is missed. secretly talking about his sixth guy right here. Yes. I'm but, just saying. But here's the thing. I brought a list of five. <laughs> I didn't bring a list of eight. Um, I'm just saying that he was. And, and for all the reasons you were saying, he's uh, he's got all the physical gifts you could possibly want um, out of a pass rusher on the interior The you know, he's just got to get it done between the ears. Um, and you're right about Pete Carroll loving these reclamation projects. He has had kind of a parade of former first round picks that flamed out in their, in, when their first team um, come through here on a prove it deal with nothing guaranteed, no salary or, you know, league minimum uh, with the idea that, hey, if they put it together, they get a great player on a cheap contract and the player gets to revitalize their career and go out onto the market next year and earn big bucks. Um, and, you know, a couple players have, have um, taken the opportunity and run with it. A lot of them haven't. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you're speaking up- of. Josh Gordon just filed for reinstatement again. again. It's like, how many times do you take a chance on? Josh Gordon or come to his defense or put him on the roster just in case. And well, the thing like, is what's going to happen with this thing. They've never, they've never put him on the roster. I mean, okay. Technically they did last year for a day, um, but they, they signed him, but he was instantly put onto this, onto the suspended list. So he doesn't take up a roster spot. And if he's suspended for games, he doesn't get paid. So they didn't pay him anything. They didn't, he didn't take a spot from someone else other than for 24 hours. Um, so what's what's the, the Seahawks' affinity for this player, where no other team has an equal interest? Um, I think there are other teams with interest. Seattle's just a, a soft landing spot for him because he is he, he's here. He knows he's he, the coaching staff will back him. They'll 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 wait for him if they have to. Um, and so I think he just continues to sign these one year, you know league minimum deals in hopes that he can, can get himself, um, you know, reinstated and a chance to play. And for the Seahawks, there's no, there's no downside. There's literally it no It seems downside. like, you know, in addition to Pete wanting these guys around, it seems like these guys are actually choosing Seattle, mm-hmm. um, to, to be able to come and kind of have this opportunity, you know, and I, I don't think Seattle would, engage a player unless they felt like this player was serious about the the mental part of the game um but they're not about wasting time mm-hmm. they're about giving opportunity and but opportunity needs to be earned and you know at least players feel like they have that equal standing in Seattle to be able to have an equal chance regardless of their previous stops yeah, and and a lot of that comes from Pete's reputation, you know, with the whole always compete thing, which has not borne as much fruit in Seattle as it did in college. But just the idea that you know the better players play. If you come in and work your tail off, and you're better than the guy in front of you, 
you'll get more playing time than him and you'll, you'll move up on the depth chart. So guys recognize it as an opportunity to come in and revitalize their career, get, get back into the league. As long as they earn it. Yeah. Yeah. But nothing's going to be handed to them. I think that was made clear, um, with Lindale white before Pete's first wow. season, there you know, you USC star, uh, running back, one of the first people signed by Carroll um, mm-hmm. when he got into town and he made it to the first mini camp, showed up out of shape and, you know, acting like he was like, whatever, I'm here. Entitled. And yeah. Pete, Pete threw him off the team and said he wasn't ready to be a Seahawk and never brought him back, never engaged with him ever again. Just, nope, that's the attitude you're going to have. You're not going to be here. Um, and that was a very interesting um, statement. Yeah. I mean, it, it really just kind of set the bar, uh, as for what the expectations are. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it, that's the, that's the negative side, right? You show up and you're, you're not ready, but how many Doug Baldwin's are there or, um, you know, Richard Sherman and Cam Chancellor who were low round picks that, you know, fought their way onto the roster and into the starting lineup and then exploded yeah. into being stardom. There's a whole list of those too. So, um, Maxwell and yeah, Jeremy Lane. And I mean, on and on and on. Yep. All right. Um, my, red, red Bryant. So I could, a good oh, example too. Yeah. Red Bryant was, um, basically a failed interior, uh, defensive lineman that, was probably on his way out of the league. Yeah. And, um, you know, Pete and then DL D line coach, um, Dan Quinn, um, moved him to defensive end. And you're like, he's 300, 330, 330 pounds. What are you doing playing with defensive end? But they, they saw something and they're like, you know, he'll do what we need, need him to do there. And he was really good, uh, at, setting that edge, being that five tech, you are not running against Seattle to his side of the field. Uh, and I mean, his size and strength is defensive tackles who are used to work or offensive tackles who are used to working against speed rushers had no idea how to handle him. Um, and, you know, so it was just a, a great match of finding a talent that a player can have that he has and then going, okay, how do we use that? All right. I think, are you on four or three? I'm on number four. So, cause we already did my number three. Um, so my number four is the one that I know you don't have because it's the one name that came up, uh, pre-show is, uh, defensive end Alton Robinson. Um, the fifth round pick a year ago, last year got, um, had a rotational role at times in and out of the lineup. But when he was in, he flashed, the reason why everyone was surprised he was a fifth round pick and not a, you know, second round pick. Um, that first step is quick. He's big, he's strong, he's very fast, uh, for a defensive lineman. And he is going to give offensive tackles a lot of trouble with his ability to get up field with a lot of burst. And now he's been here for a year. He knows the defense better. He knows the scheme better. Um, and you know, they, I just think I'm expecting him to kind of come in and be like, yeah, I'm, I know you got a lot of, a lot of names here with Carlos mm-hmm. Dunlap and whatnot, but I'm playing too. And I'm going to earn this playing time. Um, you know, it's interesting, Keith, because he's in a long line of players that I think 
you and I have seen over many years where uh, they look like they've earned playing time. They perform beyond expectations. In fact, they, they look like they could make a significant impact given more opportunity, yet they don't seem to quite earn the same interest from our own coaching staff and they, and they wait and bide their time and, and other players uh, who are maybe equally talented or have equal ability are, are before them and so forth. So to me, that was the case last year. I think it was the case the first year with like a guy like Marquise Blair, for example, his and, rookie year had kind of the same thing where yep. every time he was on the field, he looked like he was making a serious impact, but apparently there was enough mistakes in between that he didn't gain the, the confidence or the, or the trust of the coaching staff week in, week out. What was going on with Alton Robinson that you could tell where he couldn't break through completely to the, you know, a, a larger role? I just think it was a lack of impact, a lot of lack of consistency. Um, he flashed potential and, you know, ability. And you, you watch certain plays and you're like, wow, this guy's going to be good. And then you watch, you know, his next 10 plays and you forget that he's on the field. Um, and I think there's a lot of nuance to being um, an elite player at this level. And he still needs to learn all that stuff. Um, but the physical talent's there. So I want everyone to know that he, I did write him down. Like he's right here. He's right there. Yep. Okay. He's one of, that, one of your that, eight, but not one of your five. Correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I agree. I think Alton Robinson could definitely have an impact this year. It, there's just so many, like you said, there's just so many guys right now stacked up waiting to have their opportunity there. It'll be um, really in, interesting. And this is why this list is kind of built is for players like Alton Robinson, because once training camp starts, that's where the fun begins for guys like that. Cause he doesn't get the chance to really show up until pads are on mm-hmm. players are going full speed and he gets an opportunity to start beating offensive linemen to different spots and to, uh, to the quarterback and so forth and just really causing disruption. That's where a guy like that can really show up, especially a a speed guy on the edge. That's where, you know, he's going to, he's going to have his impact. And, and if you look at the roster and you go down the list of, of guys that he's really competing against, it would be Benson Mayoa and possibly you know, Kerry Hyder and Carlos Dunlap and maybe Alden Smith for snaps overall. But each player in on that list I just mentioned is just a little different. You know, Alton Robinson's a pretty well-rounded player. Mm-hmm. So you could feel comfortable playing him against the run Where on, on you certain don't, downs. You don't want some of those other guys out there. Um, like Benson Mayoa, because yeah. you saw what Benson Mayoa did last year playing 60% of the snaps. He got worn down. And one third of the way through a game and then was worthless. And, and Alton Robinson, yeah. on the other hand, didn't look like he was wearing down at all. Yeah. So, um, Robinson's a guy that I, I really do think is going to earn a spot. And is he going to be a starter? I don't believe so because you've got a, um, you know, you, you got a defense with Carlos Dunlap on the roster and we, and it's not just a matter of that. Oh, well he's, you know, the old, you know, the, the older vet and, and makes more money, but there's a reason why he's, you know, a Pro Bowl player every year. Um, but Dunlop's not going to play 100% of the snaps. He's going to play 60. That means someone else, there's going to be 40% of the snaps in that position for someone else. Um, is it going to be Benson Mayoa? Maybe. 
I don't even know if Benson Mayo makes the roster. That's the other part of it. I given, we haven't had a chance to really deep dive on the roster yet, like a, as an overall strategy. Mm-hmm. But when you look at it, it's very, very deep between the defensive tackles and defensive ends and the diversity that some of those players bring. Alton Robinson being one, Terry Hyder being another, you know, you can go through the list. Benson Mayo is not one of those players. Benson Mayo has one job and one job only, one position, one position only. And a guy like that might be at the very end of the Seahawks list. He might be one of those guys that, is the last guy cut on the roster. Yeah, because he can he can't play both sides of the line. He can only play the seven tech side. He um doesn't we play saw how he got run down last year. Yeah, he doesn't play the run well. Um he's a guy that you want to come in and rush the passer on third down, um, you know, third and long and 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 get, you know, 20, 25% of the snaps um as kind of the high end. He's a, a pass rush specialist. If you can get the same production out of Alton Robinson as you do Benson Mayoa. Not only are you keeping a guy that you have um, two more years of, of team control over and a guy that is uh, costs you less than half in terms of cap space, but you also are carrying a guy that is more diverse in his skill set and can play the run better and can play more snaps without getting run down better. Um, so if they feel like they can get the same production then Robinson will get the job every time and a guy like Mayo will get cut. If they don't think that Robinson's ready because he's still making mental mistakes and getting out of his lane and, and that kind of stuff at times, then Robinson will continue to see the bench more than he sees the field, um, despite all the talent and potential that you and yeah. I have been talking about. This is a big, big training camp for Alton Robinson. It is. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, he's, <laughs> He's one of those players, Keith, he's literally has an opportunity to have 10 sacks in in a season. I mean, you can see that kind of potential given the, the, the ability to take enough snaps. Mm -hmm. Um, Although again, he could end up with four playing 25% of the snaps and it wouldn't surprise me either. It would just be one of those, well, Alton Robinson had it, had the same year. That must be who he is. Um, but he has an opportunity to be somebody that we don't we don't know yet. Yeah. Okay. I've got my number three. Okay, you do your number three because my number three has already been taken. So I'm excited about this player, I'm, and everyone should be. Um, I think this is really the coming out year for for Marquise Blair. Um, he's God, I, competing I with, hope so. Yeah, he's competing with uh, with Ugo Amadi for the nickel corner spot he's a free safety by nature probably could play strong safety the way that he hits and plays down in the box as well so he offers you a lot of diversity i think on the on the off on the defense as well as special teams opportunities as well so i like him as a player i like his coverage skills he was a tremendous cover guy in college hasn't had a tremendous amount of opportunity yet that first year, he kind of made it in and out of the lineup. Very inconsistent. The when first he was year out was, there, it's, the first it, year was really frustrating because yeah. the, the safety play was terrible. Um, because of and here's injuries, this young kid that shows up and he makes plays, and then he's out of the lineup. Yeah, he because of injuries, he gets thrown out there. He's making play after play, and he's always around the ball, and he looks fantastic. And then 
you know, the guys who are terrible get healthy and they come back onto the field and you're like, wait, what? No. Why aren't you playing? And it was just a Pete Carroll trust issue. Is that, I mean, is that kind of how it played out it, publicly? There was a lot of that. Um, and it was, it wasn't him. It was Ugo Mati in the slot. It was, um, you know, Blair at safety. And th- there was a couple other players that year, for some reason, they did not want to play young guys. They were trying to play veterans and not have mistakes and just be solid, fundamental, you know, um, football, even if for less talented guys, it really didn't work. And it ruined, um, you know, the rookie year of some of these guys because they didn't get as much development as they could have if they actually played. Um, it was really unfortunate. Um, what do you think about Marquise Blair's opportunity to be a breakout guy this year? Oh, I think it's a great, um, a great person to have on this list. And I wish that I'd thought of him um, because then he'd be on my list. <laughs> but, you know, cause he, he showed that rookie year that he belonged on the field and, but didn't get his opportunities. Um, he showed in, in uh, training camp and, and preseason and I guess it wasn't preseason, but his training camp and, and week one that he was going to be a big part of um, what they did in the secondary. And, you know, then he hurt his knee. And, I mean, he'd earned a big role, a big role in that defense. And it was just really unfortunate timing for him. So, so this year, like I said, I hope that he has, is a breakout player because the talent is there and he's just primed to make a big impact. He's an impact player. And uh, a guy that has a chance to be really good. And if he stays healthy and doesn't do what he did last year and get hurt early on, um, yeah, I mean, only good things can happen for Seattle if Marquise Blair um, is, you know, on the field and playing well. So here's uh, Pete Carroll in a press conference last week Mm -hmm. or the the tail end of the week before on Blair. He said uh, he should be able to, to play and make a big difference Carroll told members of the media what we saw from him in last year's camp. We really were fired up about his addition. He was going to play a ton. He's stronger now than he was a year ago at this time, more physically fit in general, really a high bar for that, that we're shooting for him. And we really expect him to be a big factor. That's, that's big. I mean, even from Pete Carroll, that's spot on for him. I mean, that's one of the players that he's, really focused on coming in and, and helping his defense. All right. All right. So that, um, that was your number three. My number three was Akella Witherspoon. We already talked about, um, so shall we do my number two? Your number two. Uh, my number two is a guy that I, you're going to choose one of my guys. I just know it. Oh, have to, we're on the top two. Um, (laughs) is a guy that I was wondering if he even qualified for this list. Cause you, we say no rookies. Um, that's one of no, our rules. We do this. I don't have, I don't have any rookies on my, I know, but, and I don't either. Um, uh, but he might as well be a rookie because he oh. didn't play last year. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Daryl Taylor, um, did not play a snap, only got a couple of weeks of practice, one in the middle of the season when he looked like he was, um, about to be activated, but then he had some flare up of, uh, inflammation and stuff in his leg again. And so he, he got sat back down and then right at the end of the season, he had a really good week of practice, but it was late enough there. It's like, yeah, we're not going to activate him. Um, 
now they've moved him to where he's going to be on the field um, 100% of the snaps. I because know. this is the most critical experiment. Yeah. Because here in Pete Carroll's defense, because he is, we know, we know he can get after the quarterback, but he is so physically gifted in other ways. He's more than just a pass rusher. And so they moved him to strong side linebacker and he is um, a six, four, 265 pound strong side linebacker. Yeah. He's expected to move laterally backpedal, cover tight ends and running backs rush the passer. Like you said, he's supposed to be on the field almost at least 90% of the snaps. Now it might be a lower depending on how much nickel they run mm-hmm. and well, so forth, but nonetheless. And even, but even in the nickel, they want him to move up and rush the passer. That's um, true. Because we know he has the pass, pass rush, rush skills. Now this guy's, um, he's really athletic. Basically this is the Bruce Irvin role. Um, you know, exactly. Ir- Irvin was, um, Drafted in, in with that you know 2012 class, but in 2013 they moved him off the line to the strong side linebacker spot, and he played out there, was in coverage, sending the edge against the run, came up a, as a defensive end in the nickel, rushed the passer, um, and did all that stuff extremely well. Um, Daryl Taylor is 30 pounds heavier, um, but all of his agility numbers mm-hmm. are just as good as Bruce Irvin's. He's not a quite as fast in a straight line speed, but Correct. all of his agility numbers are just as good as Irvin. And he could very well be a, a better overall athlete. And and Irvin's a very good athlete oh, yeah. overall. So Carol said uh, this about him, and I'll just read for a little bit. He's an outside player for us. Rush outside, outside linebacker, both jobs he's taken a look at. He did a lot of outside linebacker work in college. He did a lot of dropping. He did a lot of rushing. We liked him as a rusher first. We still do, but he's got all the athleticism. He's a real natural athlete, really light on his feet. Burst, explosion, change of direction is really good. So this is not going to be a challenge for him to learn the position. We need to see how he feels when we do mix it up for him, dropping and rushing, knowing what we want to see him out as an outside rusher, as well as in pass situations so we're really double teaching him that's pete carroll speak and just so he's he's just such a good looking athlete he looks like he can do whatever we need him to do so we have no real restrictions or hesitations on his range of play so that's that's coming from pete carroll on a player that's six four, two hundred and sixty five pounds mm-hmm. just able to move all over the defense you know and the the exciting thing about and he was number one on my list the exciting thing about Daryl Taylor in this defense is that I really do believe that this is one of the missing pieces. Now I love, um, I love everything, uh, about, um, which that, that vacates the position is no, not going to be back. Um, KJ Wright, KJ Wright, love everything about KJ Wright and KJ Wright did, uh, a couple things extremely well, probably one of the best linebackers at the position, um, covering a, you know, screen passes and diagnosing all those things and so forth. And then coming up and, 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 um, making quick reads, avoiding traffic and congestion and, and making plays. He was excellent at kind of disengaging and avoiding. Um, but Daryl Taylor reminds me so much of Frank Clark and he's, and, and from the sounds of it, 
he's even got more athletic upside and agility than Frank Clark had. So he's got the Frank Clark ability to beast guys completely out of the way, just throw guys, toss guys away and get to the quarterback. But he's got that thing where he can drop back into coverage. And if he can do all that and he's that player, this is the number one breakout player for the Seattle Seahawks because a guy like Marquise Blair and a guy like Jamal Adams and a guy like uh, Carlos Dunlap and Kerry Hyder all benefit from a guy that, that's able to do what he can do. Yeah. I mean, the Seahawks really missed Frank Clark last year. Um, and no his, doubt. his ability to just rush from anywhere on the line and, and just be a, a thorn in the other team's side where they were looking for him, accounting for him, trying to get help to uh, whoever was going to have to block him. Um, and all the different things that, that, that Frank Clark did, they missed that. Now they tried to say, okay, well, you know, instead of having that one guy, we're going to have four guys, we're going to rotate guys through, and we're going to have uh, not have that drop off in production when he comes off the field. But then it never worked out. I mean, a uh, couple of the guys got hurt. A couple of the guys, you know, got forced into roles they weren't ready for. Um, and it turned out to be a mess until they went and got Carlos Dunlap. And then, you know, the defense really took off. Um, but Daryl Taylor has a chance to, well, they still have Dunlap. Um, Taylor has a chance to add to that. So now they're going to have two of that, that kind of weapon. Um, and they're going to play on opposite sides of the line and um, just really piss off opposing offensive coordinators with their ability. Was to there anybody teams. here with Frank Clark that was able to take some of the pressure off him? Um, well, for the first couple of years, it was Michael Bennett. Um, but then when, but, but Frank wasn't quite Frank Clark yet at yeah. that point. Um, but then, you know, there, there was the one year without Bennett where Clark was just insane. Yes. Um, yeah. Right. <laughs> and uh, then we traded him. Yeah. Which was, which was great. I mean, they, they obviously didn't, for whatever reason, they didn't want to pay him a second contract. And, um, well, it's probably a good idea. I mean, yeah, talent, talent wise. Yeah. But I mean, the guy just got arrested, um, did. for, yeah. in a traffic stop, having an Uzi in his car. Uh, so yeah. Um, but that's a whole nother issue. So, but they, they needed, they needed a guy, they need a guy like Daryl Taylor, um, with that kind of physical presence to just take over, you know, part of the front seven and, and just be dominant. Um, physically he's got the gifts. Now let's see if he can do all the little things and, so, and be consistent about it. So you feel like he will, he would be a guy that they would keep, choose to keep on the field if they went into nickel, just move him up. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, I do think they're, he's going to be, I mean, he's going to be an outside linebacker and, and they're going to do those things, but they want him rushing the passer and not but just to blitz. Who are they, are they just going to uh, kind of go into the best four they've got mode up front? Yeah. And then the, when that happens, there'll be times when, you know, third and 15 or, um, you know, late in the game if the CX have the lead, uh, where they'll run a NASCAR package and you'll see, um, you'll see a, a pass rushing group of, um, like Dunlap, Taylor, Taylor Robinson. Robinson and, and, um, Mayo all on the field at the same time. Um, or Hyder. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Just pick someone and be right, like, right. here, block all of them. 
Yeah. And then Good have luck. Jamal Adams coming at him. Yeah. Or, or Bobby Wagner coming up the middle mm-hmm. or, or the, or a guy that I'm just about to talk about and you probably have on your list, which is my number, number one, my number one person and your number two person. So yes, let's start with that one. Go for it. Jordan Brooks. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, weak side linebacker, Jordan Brooks. Um, he's got the upside that I don't even think we've, we've even talked about really yet. Uh, um, as far as his ability, because, when you first come into the league and you're next to Bobby Wagner um, and you're just trying to figure stuff out and some of your situation, you, you're you're dealing with an injury earlier in the year and you're just kind of working yourself in and you're really thinking about playing and, and uh, where you're supposed to be and you don't want to make any mistakes. That was Jordan Brooks through probably 10 games last year. And then the last six games plus the playoffs, uh, Jordan Brooks was really a good player and made good plays. And you could see the speed and the instinctiveness come through his play mm-hmm. and his ability to come down on, 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 on the ball and then get to the outside. It was, was like was having really two Bobby remarkable. Wagners. What's that? It was like having two Bobby Wagners on the field. Um, yeah. Because, you know, I mean, you and I both love KJ, right? And he has been a fantastic Seahawk but he had lost a step and was never the fastest guy. And And Jordan Brooks really exposed that. Yeah. And, and when, when KJ moved to the other side and Brooks came in, um, into KJ's old position on weak side linebacker, this difference in speed was obvious. And so now he's going to be, he's the fastest linebacker on the team. And he's going to be turned loose. Yeah. He's got a year in the defense. He's going to know way more in the off season now. And I just think his upside is like pro bowl. Mm-hmm. And, and he's got even more potential than that just because he gets a chance to learn from Bobby. He gets a chance to play in a P Carroll defense. He's going to have those opportunities as a weak side linebacker there to be on the field, like 95% of the snaps. Yeah. If he doesn't and, get hurt, he doesn't come off the field. I mean, I guess the only time would be is if they go to go to some sort of dime package where they've only got Bobby on the field. Um, and even then, they might want to rotate that and sometimes in the dime only have Brooks on the field because he's faster. Um, it's, and, it's, it, you could see that transition beginning to happen. Yeah, and so where, where Bobby doesn't have to play every snap of every game the entire season uh, because they've got a guy like Brooks who has that speed and that ability to get up the field into the hole and make the tackle before the running back can get going. Um, which is what, why Bobby Wagner has been an all pro forever. He's been the best linebacker in the league for years. Um, Brooks has a chance to really take a lot of pressure off of him because I, I just think this was my number one player because as, as much potential and talent that, uh, Daryl Taylor has, Jordan Brooks has a year in the defense and a year of where he went through a lot of the growing pains and really looked good for the last like five or six weeks. Mm-hmm. And this year he could be a pro bowler this season. And if he does, if he goes from being, you know, uh, a guy that wasn't even supposed to start at the beginning of the year to being, I wasn't pro- even supposed to be drafted near the first round. Well, yeah, he was other. Well, you bunch- know what I'm, you know what I mean? 
Yeah. Um, but if he does, if he if he goes from being a, a guy that they were trying to work in slowly last year and instead got kind of thrown in there because of injuries to being a pro bowler this year, like that is a breakout. And that's why he's my number one, because I think he has that potential this season, not eventually, but this year to make yeah. that step. No, absolutely. I agree. hundred percent. I mean, he finished with 57 combined tackles last year. You could easily see him over a hundred tackles this year. You know, he only had 45, 50, 45, I think percent of the snaps last year. Overall, he played more in the, in the tail mm-hmm. than he did in the front. But, um, this year he could be close to a hundred, um, a hundred tackles, combined tackles. I think that he could probably end up coming off the edge a, co- a few times, a la Jamal Adams, and and get to the quarterback. They, we haven't seen him in that role yet, but Keith, you can't deny the speed. He's if he has any instinctive ability at all, and they find that and they put that to use, I think he could end up getting after the quarterback you know, at least a dozen times this, this season and, and come away with three or four sacks, which would be a pretty decent impact from that position. Yeah. And, and then the other thing is with his speed uh, and his ability to cover a lot of ground in coverage mm-hmm. is when you bring Jamal Adams on the blitz or you decide to, to let Bobby Wagner come up the middle. Cause you got to remember Bobby Wagner is a good inside blitzer um, himself. And then you got a guy with a with tremendous speed and range right behind that covering ground and and trying to fill in the holes that are created by blitzing and uh that's a really really useful piece well that was that was my complete list Keith do you want to talk about my hidden gems actually we, we kind of should cuz we're a little short on time since um <laughs> we had I planned it that way, Keith. Three, I swear. Three of the five um, <laughs> on our lists were the same, um, and then Alton Shocker. Robinson and and um, uh, Marquise Blair were both on our just left off list. So, um, well, I had Marquise Blair on my. I know, list. but he was, and he was on my just left off list. Oh, okay, gotcha. and I had Robinson, and he was yes, one of yes, your yes, extras. Gotcha. So, so Ooh. my number six guy that the guy just missed the list is. Um, Kerry Hyder, because I, he's at least like one of those undervalued sixth man guys in the NBA that come in and, and can take over a game late. And if they get hot, the coach ends up leaving him in there and he ends up making plays and he might end up making the, the, the play that decides the game. You know, Kerry Hyder's that guy on, on our defense. He's a guy that's going to be a lunch pail guy, which, you know, every team needs guys like that. I think they, establish a, a veteran pr- presence they show other players how everything's done he's kind of that guy he's entering his sixth season he's been up and down he's had a couple of really good seasons overall and three or four that have been marginal and um that's why he's available and that's why he was available at the at the price that we had because last year he had a eight and a half sacks um in in 2016 he had eight sacks but in between, he had two sacks. So what what player are you getting with Kerry Hyder? I don't, to me, I don't know for sure. Um, I want to say that he's going to be the player that he was last year with San Francisco. But at the same time, he was forced into a situation last year where he had to kind of come in and be the guy because of their decimation of injury situation. 
And so, you know, in, and, and playing time is key for him as well. So you go back to 2016, he played 64% of the snaps. Um, and so, and, but he only had 45% of the snaps in 2019 with one sack. And in 70% of the snaps in 2020, he had eight and a half sacks, 49 tackles, 10 tackles for loss and 18 quarterback hits. But it's not so, just, it's not just the number of snaps, but it's the situation. Um, because if you look at when he played last year is, yeah, they, he played a lot of snaps because they, they needed him to, but because they needed him to be one of their pass rushers for them to have a shot to win, they didn't make him go out there and grind on third and short or in the goal line. And he didn't get a lot of snaps in those obvious running situations they went ahead and pulled him off the field. Those are the are the thirty percent of snaps that he didn't play, so that way he, yeah, he did focus. end up with forty nine tackles. I mean, you can't do that without playing against the run. True, but I'm just saying, like in the obvious, like grinded out situations, four minute drill, that kind of stuff. Um, they they did a good job of of rotating him and 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 giving him trying to maximize his effectiveness. In the the way, good news is we have that same opportunity here. Yeah, and, and it's it's very much what the Seahawks wanted to do with Benson Mayo last year. They didn't do it early because of all the injuries, and he got forced into playing, and they couldn't rotate him and just always put him in there and in a position to be, you know, you know, high level successful. Um, but at the end of the year, once everyone got healthy and they got Carlos Gunlap in, then they were able to do the rotation with Benson yes. Mayo. That, they became a very effective pass rushing group last year. Yeah, and and you know that that's the kind of rotation that you want with with Hyder is you want a situation where you're using him in the right way, in the right snap counts, right down in distance, so that you can maximize what he does. Um, and I think San Francisco did a good job of that last year, and they got good results. And now Seattle's got an opportunity to do the same thing this year and we hope we get this we hope we get good results so i have got one more player but it'd be an interesting conversation to have just on the defensive end group this year and what their strategy is would be like you add daryl taylor into that as the strong side linebacker that comes up on passing downs and and then jamal adams in his blitzing ability um this group could be really interesting this year and and it'll be interesting to see who does not make the roster because there are more names than there are spots. So um, the last guy that I just threw on my list as, as the eighth guy that I thought I should at least consider him because if any injuries happen or if the Daryl Taylor experiment goes weird or whatever, a guy like Cody Barton could Mm -hmm. find an opportunity to be on the field a lot more this year than he, than he has been in the past. And so I, I put Cody Barton on there. He's not my favorite player. He's not my favorite linebacker. He's okay at being a linebacker. I think he's terrific at special teams. Um, but if he was forced into a larger role, it would be very interesting to me to see if he would rise to the occasion and take the reins and, and secure that spot and maybe end up being a guy that we never imagined would end up being a four or five year starter at a spot and come in and take it and then never let it go. Yeah, no, that that's actually a good one. I, um, I thought about him as well. Um, he didn't make 
didn't make my list, but I did think about him for that reason because, I mean, he was a third-round pick. He's got some the physical skills. He's not the insane athlete that Jordan Brooks is. So even though it was the it, they drafted Brooks only a year after Barton, um, when they did draft Barton, they saw him as the heir apparent to K.J. Wright, and he was going to be the weak side linebacker long-term. His coverage skills are good. Um, he does miss some tackles, which Pete Carroll doesn't like because he's not a, not as he's sure not of a, a position, right? Yeah, he's he's not a, not as as sure of a tackler. Um, I thought that could be coached, um, but the, what they had to do because of all the injuries and, and problems, they they moved him over to the strong side linebacker, and he's undersized for that. Um, and he really struggled to uh, get used to that role. It's something he'd never had to do. Um, you know, coming up and setting an edge and 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 um, not trying to get to the ball carrier, but instead trying to you know create containment and force him back in, force the guy back inside to other players. It was a it was a completely new role for him, and he got better as he got more playing time. And then then the Seahawks found Brooks, and they're like, "Whoa, this guy is just like guys Light, got, lightning in a bottle." He's right? got yeah, he's got all pro potential. Let's you know, the Cody Barton experiment was fun, but um, sometimes you just have to get yeah. the better player. I mean, Cody Barton may be one of those players that ends up having to leave the team in order to have the opportunity. Yeah, because, because if, he, if he gets a chance to go be a weak side linebacker somewhere, I still think he can be really good, but he's going to require there to be an injury here in Seattle for him to get that opportunity. Uh, and he really just got blocked out of, you know, being able to ascend into his role um, this year because they went and got a better player. Uh, but they drafted him with the idea that he was going to take over for KJ when KJ was done. Like, this should be the year that, that Cody Barton moves into that starting lineup. But that whole plan yeah. got derailed when Jordan Brooks was available and they went and got him. Well, and we've talked about this in, in a little bit in the offseason when we were in speculation mode around the Russell Wilson trade stuff and how would we you know we were looking to find additional um cap dollars uh as well to to acquire talent when free agency first started and we were thinking maybe bobby wagner a player like bobby wagner who has a large cap number who is is going to start a decline at some point i don't know exactly when that is um but we were thinking maybe they would consider a trade because he could bring in the most mm-hmm. uh while his his worth is at its peak and so that would have moved brooks maybe into the middle linebacker spot and cody barton would have had an opportunity to get a starting spot there but yeah it, i don't it think they wanted out that way i don't think they they the team really wanted to have both their star linebackers leave in the same offseason um having Brooks next to Wagner this year, and then they can examine whether they want to um, have Barton next to Brooks or some other linebacker next to Brooks um, next year. Um, that's a diff- that's a different you know thing. But there were there was no way they were losing both Wagner and sure. Wright in the same offseason. I think that would have been um, that would have only happened if they had also traded Russell Wilson and basically signaled, "Now nah, we're rebuilding," and so let's. Let's go ahead yes. and, and and get rid of some of these other guys that um, can fetch us a ton of draft picks so we can go make some picks. Um, and they didn't do that, right? They, they got Wilson back. They 
what Bobby was never, um, yeah, they had a remarkable last season, really, you know, when you boil it, boil it down. So Keith, I get it. Uh, is there anything else around this or any other player that you thought of on the defense or, or you could imagine even right now, as we're just talking, that could be on this list or have some impact that we're just not thinking about right now. Well, the, the one guy that I thought about and didn't make my list and, and really was like the first one that I cut crossed off and, and was like, okay, yeah, he's not going to be on there. There's too many, too many others that are way better. Um, but LJ Collier comes to mind because if you look at him as a rookie and yeah, he had some injuries and, and had a hard time, you know, really getting into everything, but he looked terrible as a rookie, just absolutely like a wasted draft pick. And then last year he was a steady um, contributor. It wasn't ever flashy and, you know, he's not going to be a, an all pro or anything like that, but he, he showed why he was a high draft pick and, and really was a good steady contributor way better, way better than, than we had hoped for. If he makes another jump this year, especially with now that he will have another year um, where he's playing both inside and outside where he's playing, you know, the five tech in the, against the run and the three tech against the pass um, and he can develop a little bit more in terms of his pass rush moves against guards. If he can come in and give the team four sacks rushing up the middle, that would be a, a big boost to the defense. And I think he has the potential to do that um, and, and really kind of thrive in that role. But at the same time, we haven't seen him thrive in that role. So I, you know, we'll see. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold your breath um, waiting for it to happen, but I would not be shocked if Collier has a really good year um, as an inside pass rusher, you know, I can see him having a jump. I really could, you know, it, it calls into question though. um, What, what happens with Rasheem green? Does he even make it out of camp? Um, It, it calls into question, you know, Alden Smith is, is Alden Smith um, even available? (laughs) <laughs> to, to 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 come to camp based on his legal stuff if he is you know that's awesome but where does he find a role is he you know he's obviously a decent talented player um whose snaps is he going to be taking is it daryl taylor's it sounds like it um so it'd be interesting to see the split on the daryl taylor alden smith thing i mean a, a nice problem to have for the seahawks if it works out but um another player that i think gets He's probably been discounted his entire life, you know, as uh, DJ Reed um, came in last year out of nowhere. Oh, see, I didn't have him as a, as a breakout player because he broke out last year. I don't know if he completely broke out, but oh, he, he earned broke that out. spot. He broke out last year. He, he went earned, from- yeah, but yeah, but he could go to another level that we're just not even thinking about. And that's my point is we're not even thinking about really DJ Reed having impact on this defense. But what if he would come in and have four or five interceptions? And just completely lock down that side and be a really, really solid corner. And and Witherspoon comes in and, and has a decent year. It could be much better than we than we are anticipating or thinking. And oh, that's all I'm saying. It's for me. Um, I'm counting on DJ Reed being as Oof. as good really next year as he was last year. Um, well, because yeah, I could see that. I could see you counting on that. But man, that's that's a lot of faith to put in a position. That's really important. It is. And, um, but I, I think all of the question marks and everything for me, 
is everybody but DJ Reed. Because Reed didn't have a bad game last year. He didn't. He came in. He um, was what, on the... Do you remember what week he came in? No. He was on the physically um, unable to perform list. like week seven or six or something? Yeah, like you, had, he, you had to be out for six weeks, and then you can come back and, and practice. And, and once he started playing, he started playing in the slot and was an instant upgrade. Then they moved him outside because they just absolutely had to. Well, whatchamacallit, uh, ended up hurting his knee and was completely worthless. Yes. Um, Dunbar. Yeah. And, um, but he was, he was a revelation out there. Like he, they didn't expect him because of his size and and lack of length and and everything. They thought of him as a slot only guy, but because of all the injuries, they had no other choice. And he went out there and did fantastic. And he, he didn't have a bad game. He had some games that were better than others. He had some a few good games and a few great games, um, but he didn't have a bad game. And so this isn't like where he like oh had like three games in a row where he played pretty well, and you're like ah oh, maybe he can continue that. No, he had like eight games or nine games in a row where he played really well. Uh, uh, so. Question for you, and you know it's my my problem as well. How come nobody's really talking about him? Nobody's really talking about this secondary with any sort of gravitas at all. It's all just like. Blah. Don't know what we're going to get. We're hoping it's just competent enough. I mean, that's the expectation level. Um, because there's no, there's no Richard Sherman, right? Um, in Seattle, we've been, we've been spoiled, right? We had, we had Sherman from 2011 um, until he left, and when he left, we'd already seen had a year of uh, Quill Griffin on the opposite side look fantastic. And they're like, okay, well, he's going to be the next guy. And maybe he never quite lived up to that, but he was still good. But where's where's the all pro? Where's the where's the pro bowler in coverage? Now, uh, Jamal Adams is an all pro, but he's an all pro as a you know jack of all trades guy that does everything, not as a coverage guy. Um, and so you've got a you've got a pro bowl caliber safety. But he's been up and down. Um, you've got this kid on the outside who's tiny but really good. Uh, and then you've got a bunch of question marks, and there's not a lot of depth. And that's the reason why everyone's like, oh, we'll see. But Quandre Diggs made the Pro Bowl last year as well. I know. Maybe so not I mean, as a starter, but, you know, guy but he, was, that but was he right made there. It. Yeah. And so, um, and so I, I was just saying, you've got – in Seattle, we've been spoiled and we've had, we've always had that one guy at, at on corner that we just can count on. Um, and they don't, I mean, DJ reads that, but he's tiny. Yeah. And, and, well, so and that's want, why I'm wondering, like you, you said that you're not even questioning whether or not he's going to have a great year. He's just going to be the same guy that he was last year. And maybe not, you know, I don't know. Teams tried to test him. Um, what he, happens if DJ Reed gets hurt? So, I mean, he had that pec injury that, that got him off of the 49ers roster. We ended up swooping in. But, you know, <laughs> we are, we are one injury away in that spot from being a team that has Trey Flowers and Akella Witherspoon being the top corners or, or worse. I mean, you got Trey Brown and maybe Demarius Randall or Pierre Desir. I mean, there's your corner group 
that is probably going to end up being your five. And that's that's the thing is is that the depth is not um, the depth is not what you want. Um, you you didn't mention Ugo Amadi, who's going to be the slot corner. Um, and or, or Marquise Blair or Marquise Blair, who's also going to be, he's going to be the slot safety. He's going to play somewhere. Um, they, they flat out said that he's going to be on the field. Yeah. So you got, you have, you've got those two guys, which you know, are going to get playing time. DJ Reed looked great last year and you know, he's, he's going to be in and competing. A couple, three weeks ago, Keith, you mentioned just offhand right at the end of our show that you thought maybe Marquise Blair would compete for an outside corner spot. How do you still feel about that? I still actually think that could be a thing. Um, they would like him in a more dynamic role as a safety. And he I was mean, an excellent cover guy in college. He's great in coverage, but he, he can, he likes to hit people. He can come up. He makes good plays against the run. There's, there's just a lot to like about his game. Being and a I good think, tackler as the corner is underrated. Yeah. I think, um, I think they want him in a more dynamic role where he's all over the field than leaving him on the outside. But athletic profile, he fits. And if Akella Witherspoon and the other vets that they brought in um, don't pan out and they're not ready, Marquise Blair is in, is in the equation. They, they, they will be disappointed they can't use his skills in better ways, but they won't feel bad about having him out as an outside corner. And knowing that he'll get the job done, I just think they they just want more from him than that. They want him to be a, uh, have a more dynamic role because he is guy guy capable of it. This is like a, a fun roster, you know. It's not a proven no. roster, but no, it's a but fun it's a roster. fun roster. Well, and the thing is, you don't have to have you know fifty three guys that are proven. Whatever you need youth you need competition you need potential you need uh you need those things and there's a lot of that and it's mixed in with some guys like bobby wagner and, and russell wilson and and chris carson and um there there's a lot there's there's a lot of on both ends you got the the vets that are proven you've got a bunch of young kids with a ton of talent this is a better roster than people in the national media want to um, give the, give uh, John Snyder care, uh, credit for. It's a, it, it's, it, it's it a is good. also a roster that's um, could go the other direction a little bit. Yeah. Just I mean, by the nature of football, you, you might have some injuries. Some of those injuries might be to a key player. Yep. Um, you might have a rookie or a guy that doesn't have very, very much experience have to come in and have a larger role than the team anticipated. I mean, a lot of stuff can go on in a defense. I do believe that, uh, everyone is underselling this defense. I think that the way that the defense closed out 2021, not the last game, but just 2021 or 2020 in general, in the last eight games came on really strong, really made their mark as far as being a top five defense. I think overall, um, can they do that again? I think they have a better roster, better players, better depth across the board. Maybe not at the defensive back position, but that's yet, I think, to be determined. I think that story needs to be written. That's one of the reasons why, part, you know, part those of guys it, are on our list. Part of it, I believe, is that the defense was historically bad for the first, like, six or seven games. Um, and I, we're not just saying historically as, like, oh, you know, let's exaggerate. Like, literally, they were on a pace to give up more yards and points than any team in NFL history. They're for, oh, you know, a chunk in the beginning. Um, no, that's, and, that's fun to watch as a fan. 
just having your team completely run over for for eight straight weeks. I mean, literally almost just eight straight, like at least seven of those eight games where, oh, the, where the defense was so bad that you just didn't know if your offense was going to be able to keep up. And yeah. somehow or another, we, we did. But yep. um, it, was, so, it was crazy. I think a lot of people are looking at that and saying, well, that's who the Seahawks are. And then they lost Quill Griffin um, and KJ Wright. And so now they're going to be even worse. And they're not taking into, into account the last eight games when, when guys started to get healthy. And the defense was... We, we didn't have Carlos Dunlap in the first five. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they traded for Dunlap and all the other a bunch of other guys got healthy. Jamal Adams came back from injury and um, DJ Reed came back from injury and got onto the field. And, and they're just, the talent level got better. And the defense was a top five defense down the stretch. And that really um, is what you and I see is Cole Griffin was good, but not great last year. He's not irreplaceable. He had many, many plays where he was a detriment to that defense. Yeah, he he's not he he's in no way irreplaceable. Um, Quentin Dunbar was terrible, so losing him actually is an upgrade. Um, and you know, losing KJ Wright kind of hurts because it's KJ Wright, but he was getting slower and slower, and it's it was gonna be hard for him to continue to play at a high level. And they got the young kids ready to step up in there. They've got better depth. They're faster. Um, Marquis Blair's coming back. Yeah. And, and yeah. it, I, it's, it's a Darryl better. Taylor's going to show. I, a, I really honestly believe Daryl Taylor's going to be going to really show out. It's a better and deeper defensive roster than it Very was a year ago. And they were a top five defense in the second half of the season. And it's a better, Robinson in his second year. a better and deeper group this year. Than There's last one year. player that I swear, if he, if it turns out, if he, if it turns out and it works, Robert Kim could be the complete difference between oh, this man. team making the Super Bowl and winning it and, and not getting out of the second round because it, yeah. the, 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 otherwise everyone else we're talking about, and I'm not trying to be a Homer or whatever, I'm just really just reading it almost the same way that you're reading it where everyone puts these things together. And you say that every year about every team, I get it, but this, this roster and, and the players that we've talked about have legit opportunities to be a really good, solid team. Yeah. The front, the, right. front, the front seven is as, as good and deep as you'll find. Um, and couple weeks ago you were chastising me a little bit about comparing them to the 2013 um we're not talking which about i was not trying to compare them but i was trying to elevate them to you said, a you level said, that was you said it similar. was the best that pete carroll had had which of course means it would be better than the it would still need to be proven out i mean that right. that that is a little bit of hyperbole i give you that right but if it's proven out which it has the potential to be on paper and that's all it is right now um, I think that it, they could get there. I, mm-hmm. this, they're, they're, you know, you can say that about rosters that you can see on paper, have the opportunity to get there. You can also admit readily when you see rosters that don't and, and can't. And I'm just saying that this roster has it written on them that they could be destined for a, a pretty, pretty nice defense here. 
Oh, and I, I agree with that. I, I just think that you look around the league and you might find some some uh, defenses with some higher, like some guy, some just incredible talent, like proven. individual, proven end of, you know, guys. But over the, you know, the whole front seven and the depth all the way down the, to the bottom of the depth chart in the front seven, this group is going to give any other team a run for their money. I, I think they're really, really good. Yeah, we'll um, see what happens in our division because yeah. that's the tell because it's, it's, it's brutal. The division is brutal. You have four of the top 10 teams in the entire NFL in the NFC West. I agree. Yeah. I mean, Cardinals could be right there at 10 or 12 or whatever, but top 15 mm-hmm. easy. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be a fun year. So let's tell people what we're doing in the next couple of weeks. So, Next uh, week is one of your favorite shows because you get to talk about one of your favorite hobbies. Yeah. So, the, and that time, so we're doing the beer and question show where we we ask each other some random questions. Some will be submitted by you guys. So feel free to get your questions in. Um, some of them we'll come up with on our own just because we're obnoxious and we can do because that. Because we like to talk and we need an hour and a half worth of questions. That's <laughs> um, but the other thing is, so the, the reason why we started this um, the first year was I homebrew. And um, so I brought a whole bunch of my homebrews over to, to Bill's house. We recorded a show while sampling. And it was a lot of fun. And so we were like, hey, let's do this every year. Um, so we're coming around. It's, it's this year. Um, Bill's now down in Phoenix, so I don't get to um, bring homebrews over to his house. But instead, we're going to um, sample various IPAs this year and um, different styles of IPA and, and talk about that. So it'll be a lot so of if fun. Anybody's, if anybody's online and if anybody can get to the website or, or see the latest promotion thing that we, we've done, there's a picture of Keith that I took um, at the homebrew sampling uh, question and answer show, I think it, in the second year. Uh, that picture is, I think, from our second year of doing that show at my house uh, up in the Northwest. And um, and you look like you've had your, your fill of samples in that picture. You're pretty happy. <laughs> <laughs> I might have. Um, the, the best part of, of going over to your house for those shows is that uh, my wife drove and dropped me off and picked me up and uh, I didn't have to drive home because otherwise <laughs> it, I, I would have had to have been there for a while before I um, <laughs> was ever allowed to, to leave. Um, yes. but yeah, yeah no. we'll have to do those. We'll have to do that again sometime. Should the opportunity, um, come up. Absolutely. Um, and then we're doing the live show. Like this show's kind of been in the works, you know, at least in our brains for, three or four months, maybe mm-hmm. even longer. And we decided, you know, logistically we were going to try to pull this thing off. And so I'm flying from Phoenix into, into, uh, the Northwest. Uh, we're driving up uh, together into, into downtown Seattle. We're meeting up with Dan Viennes from the Emerald city sports cast. We're going to sit down at a table at Aussies, uh, at happy hour on a Monday. And we're talking Seahawks football for three hours, live streamed, across the internet on like three or four different platforms and we're having special guests and we're doing ticket giveaways and some gift cards and, and you guys uh, should come down. I mean, it's it, we're doing it live and we're doing it at a place like Ozzy's on purpose so that people can come and join in the fun and, and, and you know, get out maybe for the first time in like a year and a half yeah, to so be come, with other people that, 
are football fans just like you. Yep. So come join us. So uh, it'll be a lot of fun. You'll enjoy it. We'll enjoy it. It'll be great. Yeah. If nothing else, Keith, we will enjoy it. That'll be, that'll be a great time. All right. So let's wrap this thing up. Uh, find Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. I'm at NW Seahawk, Northwest Seahawks. Seahawks playbook is, um, is our Twitter, ha- uh, Twitter handle. Seahawksplaybook.com is uh, the place where you'll find all of our shows, both YouTube and podcasts. You can subscribe on any podcast platform as well as YouTube as well. And um, join us at the live show. Like, mark the date down and get down there and have a great time. Get a table early. Submit some questions. We're going to be there a little early, so you'll be able to come out and and chat with us a little bit before we have to sit down for three hours and hopefully not have to get up and go to the bathroom. Um, oh, we'll have to get up and go to the bathroom. I'm, I'm sure, yeah. Now that I've said <laughs> it out loud, right? And so, yeah, come out and have a great time. So until next time, Keith, which is Tuesday, beer and, beer and question and answer show, go Hawks. Go Hawks. Seahawks Playbook Podcast listeners, thanks for joining us for another edition of the show. You can find us on Twitter, Bill is at NW Seahawk. Keith is at Myers NFL. And the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com.